The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, I don't know about you, but um, I'm getting tired of waking up each morning and going to my computer, turning, I go to Google News, or you can go to Yahoo News, or whatever kind of news you want to go to. Wherever you go, it's the same. Um, this morning, for example, it was another earthquake in Nepal. And um, now there's a story about a U.S. helicopter that's lost, that was bringing supplies into Nepal. Um, there's, they're predicting snowstorms for Great Britain. Um, there are always storms amongst politicians, terrorism, violence, police shootings, shootings of police, and so on. I mean, it is really getting nasty down here on Earth. So I thought it would be great if we all escaped together to a higher um, mystical plane. And the perfect person to help us do that is my guest, Patty Fivette. She is um, a modern mystic. She's the author of two books, When Life Cried Out, one Woman's Spiritual Quest to Be Fully Alive, and The Making of a Mystic, Writing as a Form of Spiritual Emergence. So, Patty, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Carol. I'm pleased to be here. Now, um, I, I, before, <laughs> before some, some of my listeners think perhaps, oh, well, this is going to be woo-woo and what is, you know, um, I want to I first uh, give some of your credentials as having a college degree in education, and a Ph.D. in metaphysics, and, of course, your own life experiences, which are even far more uh, valuable. So let's start out. Um, you talk about, for the first half of your life, you felt quite unauthentic, emotionally, um, emotionally fragmented, and a bit lonely. So tell us what, how you were, and then uh, take us on your journey. I'll be glad to. I was born a very intuitive child. Uh, trees had meaning to me. They had, they had a life force that seemed to be connected to the same life force I was connected to. Because I was a child, I didn't understand this metaphysically. I didn't understand it spiritually. I just understood it the way it was. But it didn't seem to match 
what I saw in the world around me. And what do adults in the family do with a very intuitive child uh, who says, I had a dream and great-grandmama talked to me and, oh, honey, it was just a dream. So she can't. She's been dead for several years. You know, that type of thing. Over the years, it was not validated. It was just not validated at all by the adults around me. And uh, my, my in-tune spiritual inclinations were not validated either. Uh, for instance, I was six years old and in Sunday school, and the teacher, it was a very fundamentalist church back then, and the teacher showed us pictures of people literally on fire, and she said, this is hell, this is what hell looks like, and mm-hmm. this is what happens to boys and girls who don't live a perfect life for God. Mm-hmm. Well, I announced that I had rather believe in Santa Claus because at least he loved you and gave you presents once a year and was banished from the Sunday school class. <laughs> but over the years, I got to the point where what I was born with, those innate qualities that we all have as children, uh, seemed to be put aside, turned off, disconnected from. And um, I ended up being the role models I was expected to be. I was who my mother needed me to be as a daughter. I was who my my husband needed me to be as a wife. I had the role model of, of mother. I loved motherhood, but it wasn't who I was. It was something I did. I got lost. And then I had a marriage for 32 years that began to drain me of, of everything that was left. And so before I realized that I had to do something, I was at the point where I just did not want to be on this planet anymore. But since I was alive and breathing, I needed to, uh, I wanted to stop that alive breathing business. I was ready to check out. And what happened one night, I ended up getting uh, going outside in the moonlight and on my husband's pickup truck under the seat, there was always a, a gun. And I held the gun. I went and got the gun in the middle of the night. And I held it in the moonlight. And I looked down the barrel. And for some reason, I said, it's so dark. Where is my light? Where is my light? Who am I supposed to be? What, what, what is this all about? I, I'm so miserable. Help me, it was a one-sentence prayer, help me, God, find my light. Well, the next thing I knew, I, on my back, I had a one, stage one melanoma. Hmm. Hmm. Choice. I don't need the hmm. gun. All I have to do is let the thing grow. Hmm. And I realized at that point, my prayer had been answered. It wasn't the checking out that I wanted. It was life that I wanted. And I wanted it deeply. And I wanted it in the middle of my heart. And I wanted to know who I was. I wanted to know what love was. I wanted to feel again, to feel goodness and richness. I wanted to be able to connect to the trees like I did as a child. I wanted to be able to enjoy the flowers and the butterflies and to, uh, you know, embrace the bird singing. And I wasn't doing it. So I made a conscious decision right then. Um, I want life, not death. And I realized that. That was my turnaround. But I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to get there. Uh One thing led to another. 
at that point. And I uh, was going to a um, Carolyn Mace talk, and it was about an hour and a half drive from my house. Now, let me back up a little bit. At this point in my life, I was very close to becoming a full-fledged agoraphobic, which is, as I understood it, um, the fear of being trapped. I uh, could go to the grocery store, but I would have to get out in a hurry. I would just barely get something to eat. I spent most of my time in my basement. That's where I was at that point. That's what happens when you disconnect to yourself totally. Well, Uh, it's it's also, it's the fear of being in open spaces, the fear of being amongst strangers, um, and so on. That's exactly right. That's exactly, and I, I was experiencing all that, and panic attacks were a daily companion. Anyway, backing up, I felt like I needed to go to a Carolyn Mace talk. Why? I have no idea. Well, I do now. I know now. But at the time, that feeling was so strong that I was able to get in the car and drive, but I wasn't able to sit in an auditorium full of about 2,000 people Mm. and by myself. So I conned a massage therapist friend of mine who was going with another client of his, may I sit next to you? And so there I was. I got in the auditorium. I was able to find the massage therapist friend. And this is chronicled in both books. Uh, in um, When Life Cried Out Somewhat, it's, I, I talk about it, but it goes into more depth in Making of a Mystic. But I was sitting there in the auditorium and not understanding that the sacred uh, archetypes that Carolyn Mace was talking about. I just did not understand why Carolyn Mace was great. I just wasn't there yet. And I began to have a panic attack. I ran outside. I had to get out of that room. It was like a three-story building, but it seemed like it was closing into me. And I had to get away from the people. I had to get out of the building. I had to breathe. And my vision was beginning to shut down. My arms were tangling. Uh, mm-hmm. My heart was racing, but that's what it's a just typical panic attack. Right. And I raced outside, and there was a little stone bridge. And so I was hanging over the stone bridge waiting for the train to come totally out of my senses well the massage therapist friend of mine knew what was happening and he got me back inside the building and during the break and then the lady on my right and here's where god steps in the lady on my right said you're having a panic attack i can help turn your back to me needing help from anywhere i turned my back to her And she used some acupressure points up and down my back Mm. and told me to breathe, uh, to hold my breath and then breathe deeply and then breathe normally. And the next thing I knew, the panic attack was gone. It was gone. It was like I had stepped out of one reality into another reality. Poof, there it was. And so I looked at her and I said, who are you? (laughs) And what do you do? And she said, my name is, is Dr. Maria. I'm studying under Carolyn Mace and Norm Sheely to get an ener- a doctorate degree in energy medicine. And she said, you're having a reaction to the perfume for the lady sitting in front of you. Hmm. I thought, uh, boy, this, 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 I, I've never heard of this before. Mm-hmm. Well, I ended up making some appointments with her. And was going back and forth. My husband at the time uh, did not believe in this type thing and refused to let me go. But I saw help forthcoming. 
So I would put on my exercise clothes and sneak out of the house and say, I'm going to the gym, and I would drive the distance to her house (laughs) and get an allergy treatment, and I would come back. And after a while... I began to go, be able to go into, she was also a psychologist, I began to go into the uh, um, grocery stores and walk down the aisle where all the detergents are without uh, wigging out, mm-hmm. and uh, I would be able to pump gas by myself. The fumes from the gas did not bother me anymore. Different things like this, and I began a slow awakening uh, getting out of so many problems, the panic attacks were still there, but they were a lot less. Uh-huh. One day, one day, this is when life really began to change. One day, Dr. Maria said, I'm having an intuition course at my house for the weekend. Is there any way you could come? I said, I don't know anything about intuition. It was scary to me at the time. And even though I was an intuitive child, but all that had been blocked away. And and Dr. Maria said, I'll trade you some free allergy uh, treatments. Okay, now she's talking to my pocketbook, and I needed (laughs) that. So um, I went. And, Dr. Carol, when I was in that room, when I first sat in that room, I was with 11 of the most self-confident women, very intuitive women, I have ever been in, around in my life. And they all felt and talked about intuition and their different ways of receiving uh, messages from spirit or connecting to the world around them in different ways. Uh, and they were talking about it like it was the most normal thing in the world, but it mm-hmm. wasn't part of the roles I had been playing as part of my life. I just didn't understand at the time that it was what I've come to believe is, is intuition is innate to all of us. We just all do it differently and uh, allow it differently. And anyway, so there I was. But what surprised me was that I could do every exercise that our instructor, who was Tina, instructor told us about. I could do it. I was right there with them. Mm-hmm. I thought, yo, this is so surprising. But the last exercise, the last day changed my life. The directive was to go into a quiet space in Dr. Maria's house, write at the top of the paper something that has bothered you all of your life, then go into the deep breathing exercises she told us about, uh, Try to allow yourself to get into an as altered state as you possibly can and see if a word or a vision or a picture or an idea or something, a smell, you know, anything. See if something comes to you in the way that she explained to us how intuition worked. Uh Well, everybody went off happily to do it, and I just sort of sat there, and I thought, no, wait a minute. The thing that's bothered me the most in my life, I had to write it, and I'm supposed to get an answer to this? So uh, Tina said, at least go try. So Uh I thought, well, at least I'll try. So I sat in the corner of a bedroom, propped against the bed uh, on the floor with my legs crossed like a Sufi mystic who knew what she was doing, although I didn't or didn't think I did. But I wrote at the top of my yellow legal tablet, why do I never feel good enough? Mm. That was my question. Why do I never feel good enough? And the next thing I know, 
my hand was writing at the top of the page, my hand was writing at the bottom of the page, my hand was writing in the middle of the page. It began to fill in in random order. I don't know what is being written. My, I am aware that I am writing, but I don't know what is being written. Uh-huh. It's like I am a witness to a very special event. Yeah. And the... Um, uh, when I, my hand stopped, and then I began to look at it, well, I was, I was crying. And Tina came in, and she said, I didn't go back to the group immediately. And Tina came in and says, Patty, it's okay if it didn't happen. You can keep practicing. But I looked mm. at her, and I was just bawling by now. Mm. And I said, Tina, but it did. Something out there loves me enough to answer my question. Mm-hmm. I just had no idea. Well, it was God. I know that now. Um, uh, God, angels, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to say. It was, it, was, it was a very special experience for me. And that changed my life. I've and got what was that the answer? Both books. What I'm was sorry? the answer? The answer, I wish I had it in front of me right now. I don't. It's in both books. It's called Castles, if you uh, want to, the audience wants to, to get the book. The well, audience, I mean, what's the gist of it? What was the gist of why you didn't feel good enough? The gist of it was that um, I have been on a journey, and I have looked at everybody else as though they were beautiful castles that were resplendent with with joy and and abilities and I was comparing myself to what I thought was a better castle, and it told me that I am, the writing said, I am my own castle, and Mm. my own castle shines with glory, and it Mm. is what what is housed my soul, and all is well. I just have had uh, an outlook that could be better. Uh Uh-huh. And that's what it told me, and it... It changed my life. Hmm. Well, this is a good place to take a break. That's that's uh, that's really interesting. Um, well, we do need to come back when we can talk about it more. <laughs> I, I have some comments I'd like to make, but we do have to take a break. So we will talk more when we come back. My guest is Patty Fivette. Her books are called When Life Cried Out and The Making of a Mystic. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com 
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com welcome back to dr carol's couch if you have a question or comment for dr carol dial toll free at 1-866-472-5788 now back to the show here's dr carol lieberman and welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with the modern mystic, Patty Fivet. Um, we're talking about, we're taking you all to a, to a higher plane, forgetting about, you know, <laughs> some of the chaos that's going on on Earth. And we're talking about intuition and, and really how, um, you know, Patty is, is, has written these two, um, Memoirs, but they are really designed not just to talk about her life and her discoveries and so on, but to help you um, look into yourself and allow your intuitiveness to come out and to have to, to just make your own discoveries. So before the break, um, you were talking about this exercise, one of your first um, experiences that got you to follow um, your intuition that you had suppressed, even though you knew about it as a child, but it had been suppressed by your family and society and all that. Um, what about, you know, as a psychiatrist, if I were to, um, oh, um, I would look at that and say, let's put it this way, another way to look at it, not not either or, but another way to look at it, or if someone told me these things, I would say, well, that was like, you know, the castles. That was your unconscious talking. It was talking in metaphorical form and very beautiful form and all that, but it was your unconscious talking to you and telling you um, why you never felt good enough. I can go with that because um, uh, um, unconscious, I don't think of it as a physical thing, but a living, breathing, spiritual thing. And mm-hmm. if, if spirit wants to talk to me through my unconscious, I mean, that, that's fine. If my unconscious is particularly um, connected with, with God, uh, spirit, uh, higher self, whatever you want to call it, then then... It's the same thing, actually, as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, you know, I understand what you're saying. I mean, technically, um, the unconscious is all the is all. It works like a like a video camera uh, from the time that you're born, or even you know, in utero, um, recording all the sights and sounds and suppressing the ones that um, that are painful. Um, but it's really all, all you, in a sense, which I guess is kind of close to intuitiveness, would you say? I would say it is, yes. Mm-hmm. I think we're looking at the diamond, um, at the same diamond, but one of us possibly is looking at the top of it, and one of us look, is looking at the side of it, but it's the same diamond. Mm-hmm. So now, you, in, in your book, When Life Cried Out, you say, in utter despair one stormy night, she dropped to her knees in prayer. With complete earnest, she asked God to eliminate everything in her life that was standing in the way of her spirituality. It was quite a brave prayer. And then what happened? <laughs> then, actually, everything fell out of my life. Uh, I lost friends. Uh, the marriage detonated. It didn't just fall apart peacefully. It detonated. 
And so the marriage detonated. I lost friends. I lost church. I lost community. I lost even the things I used to do. I loved genealogy before, and that held no meaning for me. It absolutely just held no meaning for me at all. I got rid of all my reference books and everything. And uh, little by little, I had to leave uh, one night at 10.30, and that's how I ended up leaving the the marriage. I just just had to leave one night. Hmm. And it was... was, uh, if I called it a hard time, that would not be graphic <laughs> enough. That would not uh-huh. be strong enough because I had never lived on my own. I got married at age 20. I did not know how to live on my own. I did not know where I wanted to live. I did not know what I was going to do once I did find out where I was going to live. It was just, it was like a, a grand emptying I think St. John of the Cross calls it dark night of the soul. Yeah, I could call it that because there were so many uncertainties that I I was living through. But I could also call it, looking back, I could also call it... uh, um, an uh, awakening like the seed that has been stuffed into the earth and covered with dirt, all of a sudden it's finding its own life and breath and spirit and it grows roots and it sends up a shoot and it gets out of that, that earth into the daylight and it begins to bloom and grow and grow leaves and, and flower. And, and so this was, looking back, I can say it was a very strong beginning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And often when things fall apart from uh, fall away from us or fall apart, it's we don't see opportunity for a new beginning. But actually, that's what it can very well be. Uh huh. Yes. And so that so you decide so something told you. I mean, I, I, I'm interested in how this came about. What sent you on a trip around the world to look for um, for yourself? I never decided to go around the world. It was not a conscious decision at that point to say, I think I'll go to spiritual places all over the world and see what I can find. It never came about that way. I was too scared of the world to even think about doing that kind of thing. For to me, it was like steps on a ladder, rungs on a ladder, um, uh, one little thing at a time. Uh, I will backtrack just a little bit to say I was mortified of my ex-husband, and I knew I had to get to a place outside the state I was living in, um, and um, I had to go somewhere, and I knew that I could not do it by myself. I wanted to experience uh, a place that was safe for females that would virtually be by themselves and just make one small little trip just once. And so I was on several message boards. The Internet was fairly new back then, and I was on several message boards for intuitive people and uh, trying to learn about these new new things that were happening to me. And I sent off six emails one day, or private messages one day. I, I would like to go to a, a place, but I need a contact person. Is anybody interested? Well, two people got back almost immediately, and they both were from uh, a little town in Belgium. And so I began to research the Belgium, and the next thing I knew, I was I was headed over there. You know, I had a couple of bed and breakfasts I was going to stay in, and I just, I just 
booted it over there. Where and was this in Belgium? Ghent, Belgium. In Ghent? Uh-huh. I went yeah, to medical Ghent. school in Belgium, in Louvain. Oh, did you really? <laughs> so I was oh, very interested in how, of all places, you, you went to Belgium first. I went to Belgium first. Belgium actually has so many uh, street lights at night that the the astronauts can see it from out of space. It is so well lit at night, you know. And it was at that time it was said to be. I'm assuming it still is. I don't know, but that time it was said to be a very safe country, and that was. I wanted. I didn't want to be assaulted trying to get to the grocery store. So, my first trip to Belgium was. Um, I can't say I was the average t- uh, tourist who went out and did what she needed to do and, and had fun seeing this site or that site. That was not exactly how it was with me. I was uh-huh. still having the panic attacks, although there were less, but they would still come. I was still getting over the fear of being trapped in, in large spaces and that type of thing. Buses were a horror story for me, but unless I was going to stay in my one little rental unit, I had to learn how to do a bus or get on a bus or I had to learn or I had to walk and so the first thing I realized and I had my my, uh, I did get one of those pay by the minute cell phones so I could call uh, one of the people who um, said that that they would help me you know if I got in trouble Mm -hmm. so I had that little little ace in my pocket but my first job was to get food all right I'd find the grocery stores find the food get the food go home and I was an I still am an avid reader, so that that would be my my goal every day was to get food. And once I got familiar with that process and realized that the world itself was not going to swallow me whole uh, while I was doing that, then I began to stretch out uh, a little bit. And it was gradual gradual steps. Looking back, I felt like the biggest scaredy cat in the world. I mean, at that time. But now I look back as to where I was and what I did, there was a lot of bravery. Mm-hmm. But I had not realized it at the time. I was just trying to, I know the first time I went to get on the bus, I got out the door and down the block and came back into the, and, and came back. Mm-hmm. That's as, that's as far as I could do. I calmed down and then I went back just a little bit further. <laughs> and I finally got so, on the bus. So did you know what you were, like you were trying to get enlightenment, but how did you, did you have a plan for how you were going to get this? I mean, I mean, going to the grocery store <laughs> wasn't going to bring you enlightenment per se. I mean, it took you more, it, it expanded what you, your confidence, but, um, but well, how I was did you doing... plan to get enlightened? What I was doing was opening up. I was uh, allowing, I was learning to trust that um, uh, this, this higher spirit, this, this, I call it God, so I will call it God because that's what I'm comfortable saying, but, uh-huh. but use whatever word you want to for the listeners, uh, was with me, and I was getting used to doing that. I felt more comfortable with a map in my hand. Okay, so let me, to answer your question, let me give you this, this little, um, little story. Uh, I had gotten downtown Belgium, and it was my first time, and I did not have a map of the city of Ghent, but I 
felt like, and when I say feel like, I'm talking intuitively. I had a gut reaction. I had a gut feeling that most people understand that. I had a gut feeling that I needed to get down to the old section of Belgium. But I had to get there, and I had to find it. So I had taken the the bus, and I had gotten downtown, so it was time to walk and find it. But I began to have a panic attack as I was walking down the street, and I leaned against the building because my vision was going, my, my uh, hearing shuts down rather righteously during a panic attack, my hands were tingling, and I was beginning to be in trouble. I was all, all but sobbing, and I leaned against this building. I needed a map. This one I needed. I was more comfortable with a map. And I needed, I met, and I leaned against this building, and this little voice said, well, a thought, a whisper, could it be the unconscious? Yes, but I tend to think that my unconscious had to go through a big blockade to get to me, so I really think that there was, God was pushing it. I leaned against this building, and the voice, the little quiet voice said, turn around, face the building, take two steps forward and face the building. Nobody was around me, and it wasn't a voice like somebody speaking. It was an interior thought, mm-hmm. uh, like a whisper. And so I took two steps forward and turned around, and I was eye to eye with the word map. <laughs> uh. And this this jolly, uh, and I'm sitting there looking through the window, and I, I cannot believe what I'm seeing, map. And this man came out, and he was just as happy and jolly little proprietor as you can be. And he got me inside, and he says, I have all kinds of maps. What country? And I said, this one, this city. <laughs> you know, he helped me find a map, and he helped me get the bus schedule. And he said, all you have to do, and told me how to do the bus. All you have to do, if you think you're going the wrong way, is get off and walk across the street, and it'll take you back the other direction. Mm-hmm. You know, and I didn't know any of that. So, so uh, to me, that was me having one of my first spiritual experiences. Uh-huh. And okay. um, something is guiding me with this. And as I went on with the travels, the guidance got bigger and bigger. For instance, I would feel like I need to go to a place where they have a lot of feminine energy. And why would I think that? I wouldn't know why I would think that. I would just get the thought that. Or I would read something in a book four or five times that would mention a place where spiritual energy was. It would come to me in dreams, you know, uh, go to a place and have spiritual energy. By then I had made friends with, with one of the people who said they were going to help me and, and um, became a traveling companion. And so I said, where is a place with spiritual energy that's feminine? And he mm-hmm. said, well, Malta. It uh-huh. used to be, I don't know, is Paleolithic or Neolithic? Anyway, it's a long time ago. It used to be a matriarchal society in Malta. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm researching a little bit. Well, <laughs> bingo, bango, bongo. I'm on, uh, you know, here, here we go, tra- trotting off to Malta and... And uh, Malta was a really interesting experience for me. Uh, The same thing happened with um, uh, a trip to Ireland, and that was a little bit different because there was an airline. It's not uh, around now, but at that time there was an airline from Belgium that uh, was based in... Sabina? Say it again. Sabina. 
No, that wasn't it. But you could get a last-minute tour, I mean trip, on the airline. And I got a, uh, my traveling companion and I got an, a trip to Ireland for 80 cents, but there was $24 tax for each of us. You know. So for 80 cents, I was able to go to Ireland, and we went to the... Um, to one of the uh, older places that was supposed to be very intuitive and metaphysical, and I'm standing there, and I look on this this hill, and I look across the valley and a, a couple of expressways and up the hill, and I said, well, this is a lovely place, but that's where I have to go to. And that was my intuition kicking in. It was an old church, and um, uh, I went, and it was just the most marvelous experience in the world. And I came out of there realizing that I would be led. I would be uh, where I needed to go. I would. Uh, I would have these feelings. It would, and I wouldn't have to worry with the thinking of it. It would just come to me. I didn't have to ponder and agonize and, and worry. You know, it would just come, and I surrendered to that, knowing that it would just come as I needed it. So I picked up. Um, uh, oh, there was a lot of feminine energy that came out from me, from my, the depth of my soul in Malta, and to the point that I ended up not being able to move. I was My back went out, and I was on the sofa, and I couldn't even go down the steps to the bathroom. I was using something, you know, a little pan by the sofa. I, I could not go down the steps. It was so bad. I've never had that before. I ended up calling on the Pay by the minute phone from Malta. I called <laughs> uh, my friend in in Georgia, uh, Dr. Maria, and she said, "Where are you? What is going on?" Because she could tell in my voice was wrong. I said, "I've been Malta and I cannot move." <laughs> and she said, "Oh, this is feminine energy." She's a very intuitive lady. Thank heavens, this is feminine energy, Patty. It's feminine anger. And hmm. I said, if I was this mad at mother or grandmothers or somebody, one of us would have knocked the other one out. Hmm. <laughs> you know, this has got to be more than just me. And she said, like energies attract. Yes, you have feminine anger in you, but you are channeling anger from the Malta and huh. she, she, what she said was you're channeling it on a, on a cosmic level. And and she was doing some visualizations for one of the metaphysical courses I was taking that may be interesting. We'll talk about it in a minute to to the listeners. It's a results-oriented visualization for healing. It's really quite good, but I was learning that. I was doing that. Well, with Dr. Maria's help, I was able to stand up and get home. Hmm. Well, was that was that feminine anger towards... Another female, like you said, your mother or grandmother, or was it towards your ex-husband? Both. <laughs> all of okay. the above. All yeah, right. All of the well, above. It's time to take yet enough for everybody. It's time to take another break. My guest is Patty Fivet. We're taking you on an escape to a mystical plane. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com How do you achieve the utmost success in your life, career, faith, relationships, and more? It's all here in The Business of Living with host Scott Ventrella. Scott has experience as an executive coach, sought-after speaker, and lecturer. He and his guests will offer practical solutions and strategies to help you move to the next level of success no matter where you are in your life and career. The Business of Living airs live every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, taking you today on an escape to a mystical plane with my guest, the modern mystic Patty Fivette, um, the author of two books, When Life Cried Out, One Woman's Spiritual Quest to Be Fully Alive, and The Making of a Mystic, Writing as a Form of Spiritual Emergence. And um, she has been sharing some of her personal uh, experiences leading to her discovery, or I guess I should say rediscovery, of her intuitiveness that was squelched as a child, and um, and and her desire to share what she's learned, um, not only by you know taking a PhD in metaphysics, but um, but you know through her books and through her teachings, um, and her her interviews and her um, talks and so on. And um, all of these personal experiences that she gathered as she was um, blossoming herself is what she's trying to share with us and, and trying to get us more in tune with our own intuitive selves. So I know you wanted to talk more about the guided imagery. So tell us about that. Yes, the guided imagery, uh, and I'll speak briefly about it, but but um, a lot of times when we are ill or we have a problem, we are told to go uh, and, and do some, uh, close our eyes and go into our imaginative realm and visualize ourselves getting well from whatever it is that is bothering yeah. us. And what I want to suggest to the audience 
uh, to the listeners is that don't visualize visualize yourself getting well. When you do that, you're telling yourself that you have something to get well from. Mm. Um, instead, visualize yourself doing something that would require wellness. Mm. So the wellness is a uh, results. It's a result-oriented visualization. For instance, when I was when I was had the back that went out, I visualized myself dancing up the staircase. Uh-huh. I'm telling my body that it can dance up the staircase. I have read that our bodies don't know if it actually happens or if it is a, um, um, you know, if it's a, a, a imagination mm-hmm. that our brain uh-huh. has a trouble deciding, uh, not trouble, but it, it, I'm, I'm not the I'm not the psychiatrist. You are. <laughs> But well, I have read that that's very helpful to imagine. So I just wanted to give that little P.S. to the uh, listeners that uh, it's really helpful to uh, do a results-oriented visualization. Yes, that's a very good point. I use visualization with patients for all different kinds of um, issues like psychological problems and physical problems. Um, and, yes, that that is... You know, it's kind of like not wanting to look at the negative of things that that you're sick and you need to get well. But although, of course, there has been a lot of um, success with things like you know imagining that you're you have Pac-Man inside of you and it's eating the cancer cells. I would think that would be very powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, give us some other examples of things that you discovered. So, so you were basically—it's not that you sat down and planned to go around the world in—it um, was six years, right? Yes, it was. It was six years, and and as I said before, I didn't make a list and say, "All right, let's start at the beginning." I would go to one place and and um, have an experience and bring home something with me, and. Then when I was back at my home in the United States, I would reintegrate what I had newly discovered. Mm -hmm. And so uh, with the feminine anger in Malta, I came home and had to deal with my own feminine anger. Mm. And I did. I successfully dealt with it. And then it was time to go somewhere and learn something else. Um, I ended up, one of the things I did was a hill... On uh, in in uh, Ireland, and I had had mentioned that that was one of the first times that I ever I feel things intensely, and I'm also an environmental empath. I can feel the difference in Earth energies as I go from place to place. But when I was at that old uh, church, the the Hill of Screen. Uh, uh, Church of Screen, S-C-R-E-E-N, um, in Ireland, um, uh, I sat back and I felt like I was connected spiritually with the rest of humanity from the time that we were put on this earth or came to this earth, however that happened, until now. Like there was a spiritual quest. There was a quest of humanity for a higher spiritual um, uh, connection. Uh-huh. Uh, and I came home with that 
Uh, it was for me. It was very positive. It was very uh, enlightening, and it was like a, a nice, sweet little pat on my head or a hug in my heart that said, "All right, uh, you are one of many on a spiritual quest. You will learn from each other." Another thing I have done was, um, oh, some of the places. Uh, um, well, what about Auschwitz? You went to Auschwitz. Oh, my goodness, Auschwitz. Oh, my. Auschwitz, uh, I was in a church in uh, Belgium and and uh, came out of that church after meditating and knew that I needed to go to Auschwitz and, and uh, pick up energy so easy. This was going to be a hard trip for me, but I went and I could not go by myself. I did not want to go by myself. I probably could have by that time, but I did not want to go. So I had a traveling companion that went. Auschwitz itself did it bothered me, but not emotionally as much as the, the experience after Auschwitz. They cleaned it up. Uh, a lot of the compounds have been taken over, the buildings have been taken over by different uh, countries, and they've been made into different types of museums. And I didn't have problems with a lot of the museums. For instance, the Belden Museum was just done beautifully. Uh, it showed the gradual loss of human freedom, and I was sorry it was not also in England, I mean in English, but they have uh, newspaper articles that you can read, and I had to get them translated while I was there, but it, it, it's a lesson, it's, it's history 101 that we all need to learn from. Mm-hmm. But then I went into another building thinking it would be something of the same, and I saw uh, suitcases that they had behind a glass glass wall window, and I saw um, with names on them people that lost their luggage when they got there and never got it back. And I began to get very sad. And I saw the pots and the, the dishes, the enamelware that they were going to be thought they were going to be using that was so popular in the 40s. And but when I got to the uh, display that had the actual human hair there from when they had gotten shaved, I will say, Dr. Carroll, I lost it. Mm-hmm. I completely lost it. I ran mm-hmm. out of that building. I could not be in that building anymore. It was the saddest thing. I went out and just sobbed for everybody that ever had that experience before, now, or whenever. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was, then they had rebuilt one of the crematoriums, and I went into the crematorium that was knowing it was rebuilt, but I began to have visions of this one woman who came to me in dreams for a long time after, hold your breath, you know, plop, plop, fizz, you know, hold your breath, you know, this is not a shower, that type thing, Mm. and um, that was, that was... (sighs) More than profound. I explained it in detail in in, uh, the book when life cried out. But then I got outside of there and I met with my traveling companion who'd gone off on his own. And we were standing there and this man just sort of appeared and he said, if you really want to have an experience, you need to go to Auschwitz to Birkenau. Well, I'd never heard of Birkenau. I didn't know about Birkenau, but it was just like a mile, a mile and a half down the 
down the road, you know, around the corner and down the road. Birkenau is where you, you've seen in the movies or the old films, it's where the train would come in and people would get off of the train and were told to go this way or that way and mothers and fathers were separated from children and, and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It's acres and acres and acres and acres. You cannot fathom how big this place is and what little is left of some of the buildings it wouldn't be something that i would think a chicken could survive during the winter Mm -hmm. and um while oswich touched my heart birkenau tore at my soul Uh it did i had picked up a rock at oswich to hold and squeeze just to ground me to keep me steady and i still had that rock and um, I sat on the steps at Birkenau. I sat on the steps of this, this uh, a, a monument-type thing that they have built at the end of the railroad track. And many different countries have, have plaques and, and sayings there. And, and um, it's all out of stone or marble or something. Anyway, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. And I sat on the steps there, and uh, one by one, Things began to, issues began to flood out of my soul. Um, uh, For instance, uh, I just have to give the listeners an example so they'll know Mm -hmm. the type of thing I was talking Mm -hmm. about. One thing was that um, my grandmother always insisted that we dress a certain way and and uh, be presentable, you know, in fashion. And it, I, I just wanted to express my own self the way I dress. But, but she was looking out after her grandchildren, uh, granddaughters, in her own way. But it sort of squelched my spirit over the time. Mm-hmm. And I realized, at, sitting on the steps at Birkenau, that that she was of the era that the appearance was... Part of the and the presentation was part of what females did, and from her standpoint, she was trying to help us. Uh-huh. From my standpoint, I felt like I was being put in a box. Uh huh. And so that just flooded out of my soul. Oh my goodness! I understand that. I understand that. And where I had experienced in my life some um, emotional abuse, I realized it was emotional abuse. And look at the abuse that people around me, the contrast between Uh what I had experienced and what they had experienced. I thought, well, I want to say get over yourself, but I wasn't that Uh harsh. It was reality check, reality check. And so things like that, and I, I list many of them in the book, and begin to flood out of my psyche, my soul, my heart. You know, what's left when something like that leaves you? You have held on to these problems for so long. What is left on the way out of broken out down that railroad track to go out those horrible gates of death to go back out to get to the car to leave? Somebody had placed a red rose inside one of those little floral um, 
uh, things and stuck it in the rocks of the railroad track. I got down on my hands and knees and cupped that rose. Do you know what's left? I knew then. When we get our issues out of our psyche, when we finally say, okay, I don't need you anymore, I can turn you loose, there's nothing but love left. Mm-hmm. And it's so powerful. There was that beautiful red rose right in the middle of all that horrible, horrible, horrible experience. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I knew right then, uh, I am about love. It's love. It was a knowing. It wasn't a feeling yet. But, hey, that's how it starts, recognition. Well, I want to, you know, we've kind of come to the end of, not of your travels, <laughs> but of the show. And I want to make sure that um, that I have enough time to tell people how to get to your website and to tell them the names of the books again because, I mean, surely this is sort of whetting um, everyone's appetite for finding out more of the details. So um, Patty's first book was When Life Cried Out, One Woman's Spiritual Quest to be Fully Alive. And her second book was The Making of a Mystic, Writing as a Form of Spiritual Emergence. And she gave you an example of that at the beginning, but there's many more. And her website is pattyfivette.com, which is P-A-D-D-Y-F-I-E-V-E-T. P-A-D-D-Y-F-I-E-V-E-T, pattyfivette.com. Of course, Patty, you can get the books on Amazon and so on. Yes, they are in Amazon, and you can order them from small bookstores. Uh-huh. Yes, we have to, um, we have to patronize our small independent bookstores so, because uh, That's important. to keep them alive. <laughs> so Why? thank you so much for sharing your experiences, and I hope that this has given my listeners um, curiosity into exploring your own intuitiveness um, and finding out where that's going to lead you to Belgium and beyond. (laughs) Thank you all. Thank you, Patty. Thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 